No one wants to be called a heel. In English, to be called a heel is a very negative connotation. I'm not really sure what it means exactly. Does anybody know what being a heel is? To be a villain. Jean-Claude, thank you so much. Jean-Paul. So you wouldn't want to be called a villain. You wouldn't be called a heel. But heels are important in the Jewish tradition to be a heel. In fact, one of the patriarchs is called the heel man, Jacob Yaakov from the word heel. He was grabbing onto the heel of his brother, became a heel. And the word heel in, in the literature of the Proverbs, in our wisdom literature, in Mishlei, there's a posuk that tells us the heel, in the heel of Ekev, the word Yaakov, heel, in the heel of humility, comes in the wake of it, as it were, comes the fear or the majestic relationship with the divine. To be a heel in our tradition can either be a trickster like Jacob, coming from behind, not seeing the one who came from behind, being suspected of coming from behind, someone who tricks, someone who's crooked. But in the verse from Proverbs, Ekev means that as a result of, in fact, some either identify not just as the result of humility comes, Yirat Adonai comes an awareness of the divine power, majesty, whatever it might be, but some actually identify those two qualities. To be a heel is already to be humble. It's not used as a means towards humility, but healing in the deepest sense with a double E is to be in a posture of, of humility. Akev. Our sources say that Akev here as heel means that which is furthest from the Rosh, from the head. If the head, the Rosh is the top, Dog, the heel is the doggy bag. The wagging of the tail, as it were. To be the heel, to be Akev, is to be the one at the bottom of the ladder, as far from the top as you can possibly be on the hierarchy of the body and of being itself. In fact, in our tradition, heel becomes an anatomical metaphor for the end of days. As the end of days, meaning at the end of time, the heel of time in its furthest reaches, not in its reshit, in its beginning, but in its ekev, ekibita, in the heel of the Mashiach. Messiah will come at the heel of time. So the heel has this quality of humility. And what would it be like to listen from the heel? What would it be like to discern and to understand from the place of the heel? Tomorrow morning's Torah portion called Ekev, which means the heel. Used, of course, in a linguistic meaning, if you will listen and heed, the heel becomes heeding. As a result of, as the heel follows the body, if you will obey, then these things will follow. But what might it mean if we were to interpret it more poetically and prosaically as, if you would listen from a place of humility? What might that look like? Moshe Chaim Lutzato, the great Italian mystic who 
lived in Padua in 1707 from the 18th century. He was, died in 1740, so he was only 33 years old. A great mystic in the Italian Renaissance and mystical Renaissance of, of that community. He wrote a book called Misilai Sharin, The Path of the Just, which was hailed as the first of what is known as the Musser literature, literature of ethical and moral perfection. He actually maps out a curricula for becoming a more evolved human being. And he writes about humility, that the habit of humility is only acquired through training and reflection. The training consists in gradually habituating yourself to act humbly by keeping yourself in the background. Another way we might say that is to decenter yourself from all conversations. In Iris Stone, Rabbi Iris Stone, who has a commentary on the book, writes that the evil inclination in us is not evil, but it's essentially the ego that always places itself in the center of every conversation. And the Yetzir Hatov, what he calls the, what we call in tradition as the good inclination, is when we put the other first. And so one simple practice of humility, to listen from humility, is to listen not for what you take, but what they offer. To be humble in this sense, to be listening with Akev with your heel, is to have an awareness of the other who stands before you and to make them and their needs paramount. It's a vital moment in our understanding of tshuva, in our understanding of what is called repentance, the season that we're about to enter, the season of preparation for the Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the Cheshbon Nefesh, the inner inventory that we have to do. Our tradition tells us that the name of the month, Elul, is an acronym of Anili Dodi Vedodili, the first letter of each of those four words in the Song of Songs, Ani I Lidodi Lamed to my beloved Vidodi and my beloved Li to me. But that's the inner essence of Elul, of our preparation for the high holidays. What a remarkable thing. On, on one level, it's very romantic. Imagining the high holidays as a rendezvous, like a song of songs, you know, Anihile Dodi. Oh, it's so beautiful. But what if we read it more in the Musser vein, in the vein of this tradition about moral and ethical connection? Let, you know, Emmanuel Levinas, the great French philosopher, wrote that the beginning of all ethics happens when you open the door for someone and say, après vous, after you. Après vous, after you. Oh, no, no, you. Oh, no, you. Anile Dodi. I've always read that romantically. Anile Dodi. It's like so romantic. God is, you know, my beloved, which is beautiful. But maybe it's just a simpler moment of like humility is tested is tested in the interpersonal domain. To be able to do tshuva means to acknowledge that we are human who can't be humbled by all of the mistakes that we make and remake and redo over and over again. Who in this room, who amongst us has a bank account so big or a boat so big or a company so big or you name it, right, that is so accomplished that they can't sit in the quiet of their own heart and mind, close their eyes and think about all the ways in which they missed the mark. Not in their life. Today. <laughs> Yesterday. Not to be confused with kind of 
hypocritical humility, where on the outside it looks as if you're humble, but you're really using your humility to center yourself. And not the kind of humility that means that I can't act when called upon to act. Because that also has a kind of self-involvement instead of what is needed in the moment. But the kind of humility that sits on the absolute truth of our limits, of what we know and we can't ever know, what we can have and what we can't ever have again, what we can do and what we can't ever do over. How many of us can't feel that? And in that moment of humility, decenter ourselves so that we might be of service to those who we have harmed, those who we haven't listened to, those who we haven't seen. I don't know about you, but these last couple of years have been incredibly humili hum humbling for me, humiliating, humbling all from the word humus, which is earth, of earth, of, of matter, of form. I told a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine this week that I feel in my searching, I've been groping to find a way to express how I feel and that others have been telling me they've been feeling over the last couple of months, year. I said, I feel like I'm on a bridge that once crumpled. And now having been rebuilt, I still don't yet trust that I can put all of my weight into each and every step as we go forward. And with each step, I know that I'm compelled, impelled, propelled to go forward on this bridge because there's no going back. But I keep looking back to see how far away we are from safety and how far we are from safety to an ever receding, unknowable arrival. And I have to keep saying, give more weight into it and trust it. And I know it's hard. And we're humbled by what we can't know. We don't. Will synagogues ever look the same again? Some say absolutely not. Some say absolutely yes. And I say, I don't know. Will this Upper West Side, will this city, will this country? I don't know. Will you, me, anybody here know? But I'll tell you something. I had the privilege of being at a shiva yesterday for an amazing woman whose life began in, in absolute abject rejection, misery, abandonment. And by the time she passed away this week, at the age of 85, many, many grandchildren and great-grandchildren later, she lived a beautiful life, a life that I'm sure was punctuated by moments of, I don't know, but more often, I'm sure than not, it was the humility that she had to not know that also led to her stepping forward into that unknown and saying, here we go. It's possible because I don't know it's possible because none of us know it's possible. This year's holiday theme will be to awaken the possible. The word Fshar in Hebrew means could be. It also means, yes, we can. It's available, let's do it. I stand before you tonight, I'm sure, you know, like all of you, all of us together in the same bridge, taking one step at a time, trying to put our weight into it and saying, I don't know. But humility, humility, to listen with the heel, to listen from the place of openness. I think that's a good way to start the month of Elul, which will be coming in one week's time that will bless tomorrow morning. I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me after you. No, no, after you, after you. Please rise.